the security industry is pretty full of jargon. We needed to turn that jargon into plain language. So not using a bunch of acronyms and confusing stuff that you have to wade through and making sure that you could get the, the quality of protection, but that you didn't have to be a PhD in cybersecurity to manage them. Today we have Brian Fritton on. He is the CEO of Havoc Shield. Welcome, Brian. Thanks a ton for having me, Josh. Brian, if you could please start out by telling us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to be where you are today, that would be great. Sure. Software engineer by trade. I've been a, I guess, a, a masochist, a serial entrepreneur uh, for some time now, mostly on the technical side. So I was a software engineer for quite a number of years before moving to be a CTO and co-founder for a real estate crowdfunding company that I co-founded. And we sort of took the Kickstarter model of investing fractionally in large projects and applied that to allowing folks to invest in real estate. Exited that company and uh, moved back to Chicago from LA where I was at the time. I took a job as a VP of engineering for a company here in Chicago that made data science software for Fortune 500 types of companies, as well as political institutions. And I got put in charge of cybersecurity in front of the 2018 midterm elections. So I had to work with the intelligence community, law enforcement, private institutions to really build up a strong defense at that time. And what I saw was that a lot of my peers in similar roles, you know, startup CTOs, small company, uh, IT directors, or folks in operational roles, uh, knew that they had to get uh, better at uh, their cybersecurity defenses preparation, and that more and more it was becoming not only a, a, a reputational and financial risk, but was starting to block revenue. What we did with Havoc Shield was kind of like what TurboTax did with uh, tax prep. You know, we turned this uh, really complex topic that has a, a lot of risk if you get it wrong into a step-by-step -step plan that we like to say even the intern can manage. Are there sort of certain fundamental cyber protections that you think, you know, every business, uh, every startup ought to have in place? I'm sure folks have heard it before, but I'll, I'll repeat it again, because not enough of us have this covered is multi-factor authentication uh, is like one of the best things that anyone in your personal or professional life on, on any account that supports it. You know, it's, it's one of the first things that you should look at and make sure that it's enabled. And as an organization, you should make sure to require everyone to, to do it. The, the minor inconvenience, having to type that code in every once in a while to get into your email or your bank uh, is, is worth it in spades uh, when you uh, get caught by a phishing attempt or a reused password or something like that. Just make it so much harder for an attacker to get in. So what is more complicated, more confusing, and more jargony? Cyber or cybersecurity or uh, insurance? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, both worlds are converging, right? So they kind of need each other. Um, and I think that they share the problem. I'm more exposed to the cybersecurity world. So I guess my, my bias is there and in saying that I've, I've seen more of the jargon. Um, but, you know, um, the types of uh, things that uh, as an industry and insurance, we're asking our applicants to struggle through. Those are climbing and they're frustrating factor, I think. You know, what is exactly, you know, the connection to insurance and 
you know, what role are you trying to kind of play in the insurance and the insure tech ecosystem exactly? What we decided to do is build two sort of products to help uh, brokerages in that area. One is called our cyber fitness assessment. And the idea is that we can take your carrier requirements um, and, you know, those are sometimes jargon filled, you know, do you have DKIM, SPF and DMAR, uh, DMARC in place, right? Hardly anyone on your applicant list kind of knows what that means. Um, and so we take those requirements uh, and we put them into a wizard style sort of presentation where it helps them understand what those things mean, um, where they stand on them, right? Do they have that in place or not? and then gives them sort of useful recommendations on what to do next. And it leaves them with a scorecard where they know where they stand and they can have that conversation with you as their broker about what to do about it. And then um, the big thing that, you know, we're pretty well differentiated uh, on in terms of our ability to help speed up your pipeline, you know, take it from 10, 20, 30, sometimes two months sitting in pipeline while we wait for applicants to, to figure out how to do the homework behind the gaps in those requirements you know, we could take it to a couple days, uh, is um, we have a catalog of modules that help roll out the types of tools and make the configuration changes and, and um, put the policies in place uh, to fill those gaps. And so we can actually help you do the homework behind those requirements rather than just tell you, you know, that these requirements are, are things that you need to meet. And so for a broker, that's obviously a great way to speed up the process and we leave behind a full evidence package. So you can submit that underwriting um, and your underwriters get used to seeing a standardized, validated list of controls being met and, uh, and it speeds up and makes that carrier approval much more deterministic. And, and so in terms of your business model, what, what's your approach? How does it work? Yeah, so we, for the, the sort of impact that we can have uh, for our brokers, which you know we're often, often seeing is Know, 10 times the the license fee we charge, uh, we charge a license fee. Uh, and so uh, it's an annual uh, fee basically for the uh, co-branded cyber fitness assessment that helps your clients understand what the requirements are, where they stand. Um, it includes the, the mapping of those requirements as they change from the carriers on you, right? Because carriers are kind of starting to sort of choose different areas to, to poke at. Um, so we, we, we manage those for you. And that includes that, that custom program that wraps up everything and, and delivers a nice evidence package out the other end. If a end customer needs our help, um, then uh, we charge them directly. And so it's a per se affordable fee at retail. It's 14 bucks per user. It's, it's a no brainer, right? For, for core customers. Uh, and then we help them with the modules and everything baked in. So obviously, you know, you come at this from the cyber cyber background. Sort of, do you have a product roadmap to figure out other insurance products where maybe you can create a similar front end, or is your product product roadmap more other things related to to cyber? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things that we recognize and know that we uh, uh, will can we'll continue to need to work on uh, to be better partners inside the industry is helping you um, control that sort of changing and volatile nature of uh, how our industries are merging, right? Like cybersecurity as an industry and insurance are merging. 
they're only going to get closer and that's going to complicate some things. And so my answer on roadmap is kind of a little bit of both, but it really is serving the insurance industry at the end of the day to be able to focus on uh, the types of uh, vendors that we manage, the types of security configurations we can help people through, um, the types of things that we do inside our core product all add up to the types of things that are going to be requirements from carriers. Are there any sort of other insure tech developments in cyber you think are interesting, either, you know, maybe maybe not in this small commercial segment, but in terms of maybe some of the newer types of digital assets or, you know, other segments of the market where maybe you're not focused at the moment? What I'm interested in is um, reducing the friction in applications, right? So like the, the, the questions just continue to grow in volume and, and uh, I guess I'd say uh, severity and like that just harms everyone, right? Like your conversion rate on getting your applications through is getting getting worse. Applicants are getting more frustrated with dropping out of the process. Um, and so I'm really interested in some of the stuff that's being done from a sort of sensor point of view to understand what you already have in place. So we don't have to ask those questions. Do, do you see a possible scenario where you partner with some of the carriers more, more directly and they either offer it out to the brokers or maybe even require it that the brokers who want to work with them have to have to offer this uh, type of type of experience um, to, to their clients or use this type of platform with their applications? Yeah, I think so. So the, what I'm hearing from, you know, broker partners and, and carriers and reinsurers and everyone is that, you know, there's a, uh, there's an interest in carriers doing that, but that they're all experimenting with their middle tier right now, right? Like their wholesalers and their, their MGAs and folks like that to, uh, to be able to understand what works well. And so that's kind of where we're focused right now is like the, the, uh, uh, the folks there who specialize maybe in cyber a bit more, as well as the independent brokerages who have good direct relationships with carriers uh, and, and making them look smart. And I think the carriers will take notice and yeah, we'll probably um, be interested in, you know, uh, standardizing some of the ways that um, they can have an effect on this themselves and pushing that, you know, uh, uh, downstream. But I don't think that, um, it'll be the only way of getting it done. When you were looking at user experience in general, were there businesses in the industry you looked at and said, oh, these guys do a good job? Or, you know, were there other other companies in other industries where you thought, you know, they have the best user experiences, they have the best customer success, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we always learn a lot from what, competitors and other folks inside the industry and outside the industry are doing. I think one of the powerful things for us, you know, understanding is that we have people on our team who are, you know, the, the, the sort of model users in past lives, right? They don't come from a enterprise security background. And so, you know, we use that lens to our advantage. Um, yeah. When we look at other folks, you know, there's a lot of cooperation that we can do. So we try to see folks who might be construed as competitors in the light of like, how do we work together? Brian, it's been great having you on. Any other information about Havoc Shield or any other uh, insights or 
forecasts or words of warning for the audience that you might want to throw out before we wrap up? Uh, I'll just harp on the the MFA thing again. Make sure make sure you have MFA enabled um, and uh, train your staff. Right, like uh, we can put all of the technical controls and advanced technology in place and spend all the money, but you know if uh, if you don't train your staff on how to spot a phishing email or what a good password feels like and looks like and um, you know how to respond to these types of incidents and spot them in the first place. Um, you know, you're still going to end up having a bad day. And so, you know, invest in your people's capability to do this, not just the technology. All right, great. Well, Brian Fritton, CEO at Havoc Shield, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Josh.